0: Sketches from Scripture Presents After God's Own Heart A teaching series from the book of Samuel At the end of the book of Judges, the author writes, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel was a nation, but not a kingdom. The spiritual leaders were corrupt and aloof and the nation wandered far from God. Thanks to the desperate prayer of a woman named Hannah, her son, the prophet Samuel, became the leader, priest, and judge of Israel, and God called him to anoint a king, one who believed, acted, and ruled after God's own heart. Will a king unify an adulterous nation and bring them back to the Lord? This is the story of the book of Samuel. Where is it most difficult to put your faith into practice? Is it with your family? Is it with people that are close to you? Or is it with strangers? Is it people that are um, unknown to you? Is, it, is, is the cold open? Is that is that what's most difficult for you? Is it when things are going well? You know, when things are good, sometimes we... We forget to depend on the Lord. Is it when things are going rough? When you get really overwhelmed, do you, you know, um, sort of abandon the things of your faith? When is it um, most difficult for you? Something to think about as we read tonight. So let's look at uh, 1 Samuel 18 a little bit here. We're going to do lots of skimming tonight. So right here in the beginning, uh, this is coming right off of 1 Samuel 17, which is the story of David and Goliath, which we did in our last lesson a month ago. After David's success, he goes back, uh, we see here in the first couple of verses, that he goes back to serving Saul. And so if you'll remember, he was playing the harp for Saul because Saul had these evil spirits that were tormenting him. And Jonathan is Saul's son, and Jonathan loves David and um, really forms a bond with him right away. We've read a few stories about Jonathan already as well. And so uh, Jonathan makes a covenant with David, and uh, the everybody starts singing about uh, David's military prowess. They say Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, and Saul becomes really furious, uh, because of this. And so the evil spirits come again and Saul is raving inside the palace and he tries to throw a spear and pin David to the wall. David gets away from him twice. And, uh, at some point, David goes to marry Michael, one of Saul's daughters. And, uh, he says, um, that he can, um, that they they can they can marry, but he has to um, uh, contend with the Philistines, and um, his his whole goal here was um, to send him into the hand of the Philistines and, and have him be killed. That's what he wanted to do. So, verse twenty-five here he says, uh, "Say this to David: The king desires no other bride price except a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies." So. Um, I've been to a number of weddings and a number of wedding showers, never seen this as a gift. Uh, but this is what Saul has requested. And as it says here in uh, at the end of 25, actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hands of the Philistines. So they tell David, uh, David went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back 200 foreskins. And of course, this enraged Saul even more. And, um, so down here, um, verse 28, Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michael loved him. And he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. Every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all of Saul's officers. So his name became well known. So Saul keeps sending David into battle, uh, hoping that he will die in battle. And it just doesn't happen. All right, so let's read uh, chapter 19. Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. But Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. So he told him, my father Saul intends to kill you. Be on your guard in the morning and hide in a secret place and stay there. I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and talk to him about you. When I see what he says, I'll tell you. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul. He said to him, the king should not sin against his servant David. He hasn't sinned against you. In fact, his actions have been a great advantage to you. He took his life in his hands when he struck down the Philistine, uh, talking here about Goliath, and the Lord brought about a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. So why would you sin against innocent blood by killing David for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan's advice and swore an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So Jonathan summoned David and told him all these words. Then Jonathan brought David to Saul and he served him as he did before. When war broke out again, David went out and fought against the Philistines. He defeated them with such great force that they fled from him. Now an evil spirit sent from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his palace, holding a spear. David was playing the lyre, and Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. He's already done this two times. David's escaped two times this year. Now he's doing it again. As the spear struck the wall, David eluded Saul, ran away and escaped that night. Saul sent agents to David's house to watch for him and kill him in the morning. But his wife Michael warned David, if you don't escape tonight you will be dead tomorrow. So she lowered David from the window and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took the household idol and put it on the bed, placed some goat hair on its head and covered it with a garment. When Saul sent agents to seize David, Michael said, he's sick. (laughs) It's a fantastic plan, Michael. Uh, Sorry, it's getting me really tickled. Saul sent the agents back to see David and said, bring him on his bed so I can kill him. <laughs> so they're not even going to drag him out of the bed. They're just going to bring the whole bed and then Saul's going to kill him. It's like, why don't you just kill him in the bed? Anyway, it doesn't make sense. When the agents arrived, to their surprise, the household idol was on the bed with some goat hair on its head. <laughs> Saul asked Michael, why did you deceive me like this? You sent my enemy away and he has escaped. She answered him, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him everything Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel left and stayed at Naoth. So Samuel is still alive. Uh, we'll remember back in, uh, I believe it was chapter 12, and uh, Samuel retired. But he didn't die. He just retired. He he says, okay, I'm out of here. You got your king now. You obviously don't need me anymore. And so he goes about his business, does his own thing. But he's still alive. And David still trusts him. Samuel's the one who anointed David uh, after all. So David's aware of Samuel's connection with the Lord. And he's aware of Saul's lack of a connection with the Lord. Based on the number of times Saul has attempted to kill him. So... Uh, So now he's with Samuel and they um, leave Ramah and they stay at Nioth, again, hiding from Saul. When it was reported to Saul that David was at Nioth in Ramah, he sent agents to seize David. However, when they saw the group of prophets prophesying with Samuel leading them, uh, the Spirit of God came on Saul's agents and they also started prophesying. When they reported to Saul, he sent other agents, and they also began prophesying. So Saul tried again and sent a third group of agents, and even they began prophesying. Then Saul himself went to Ramah. He came to the large cistern at Seku and asked, where are Samuel and David? At Naoth in Ramah, someone said. So he went to Naoth in Ramah. The Spirit of God also came on him. As he walked along, he prophesied until he entered Naoth in Ramah, uh, uh, Naoth. Naath in Ramah. Saul then removed his clothes and also prophesied before Samuel. He collapsed and lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Okay, a little bit of a crazy story there. So we see this happen several times in scripture. We have already seen it in the book of Samuel once, where people began prophesying and uh, it's because the spirit of God has come on them. And so one of the first times we saw it was after Saul was anointed king. Samuel sends him on his way and he meets people with with food and, and, and drink for him. And they are prophesying. And that is sort of the sign that it's, it's uh, showing that Samuel is speaking for, on behalf of the Lord that he does have a connection with the Lord, that uh, what Samuel has said will come true is actually coming from the Lord and not from Samuel. And so we see a similar thing happen here where Saul is sending his people to kill David. But when they get there, instead of killing David, they prophesy. They end up becoming agents of the Lord. And after sending three successive groups and e- each of them, rather than killing David, end up uh, prophesying there with Samuel and everyone else Saul himself goes even Saul prophesies to the point that he takes off all his clothes and lays naked which would have been a very uh embarrassing thing for someone who thought that he was king and uh so uh God shows what he thinks about uh everything that is happening so uh that's eighteen and nineteen. In Chapter Twenty, Jonathan helps David. Jonathan performs a test and learns that indeed Saul does intend to kill David, so Jonathan helps David escape without being caught in chapter twenty one David goes on the run he and his men eat the showbread from the tabernacle um which uh again, where's the Tabernacle, and what's even in there? you know the ark the Ark of the Covenant's gone, so What's the rest of it for, right? But uh, they eat the showbread. David also picks up the sword of Goliath. He says, there's nothing like it. And uh, no one wants to harbor him for fear he will attack them. So he pretends to be insane as a way of getting away without starting a battle. And this reminds me a little bit of Hamlet, where Hamlet pretends to be insane, or does he go insane? There's sort of a little bit of a mix here. David's running he's hungry he's uh being chased he's a little crazy and so we kind of have to ask um you know is he pretending to be crazy or you know how far does this really go so scripture tells us that he acted like the madman so we'll look right here just at the end of chapter 21 it says uh, David took this to heart and became very afraid of king achish and, and of gath so he pretended to be insane in their presence he acted like a madman around them scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard Look, you can see the man is crazy. She said to his servants, why did you bring him to me? Do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is this one going to come into my house? <laughs> uh, this book is really funny to me. There's lots of really funny parts of this book. So that's one thing that I want us to, to remember and and um explore while we're going through the book of Samuel not just look at the people not just look at the history not just look at the theology and things that are there we can learn all of those things from it but first our first interaction with it is it's a story it's a story that we're hearing and the story you can't tell everything that happens when uh, of an event so it's a story uh where you have to kind of pick and choose which characters you're going to include. You've got to pick and choose which events you're going to include. You skim over some things and you really drill down and get into the details of some other things. Sometimes things will be out of order. Remember, chronology was not really something that the uh, ancient people cared about. That's a more recent um, interest, things being in chronological, in an exact chronological order. No, they're in a, a story order. We looked at this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 1 Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 16 is the anointing of David and uh, David soothing Saul's spirit by playing music. And chapter 17 is, of course, David and Goliath and his big military battle. And the way you read it, when you pick up some of the details, it seems maybe the events of David and Goliath took place before some of the events of chapter 16. But the events of chapter 16 are told to us first because they are about spiritual things and the, the spiritual things are important. The spiritual things come first. Then we'll talk about the things in the physical world, the things, the military things, the, 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 the warrior king type things. And so we want to look at the storytelling because the storytelling is always informing us um about what we're, how we're supposed to understand what it is that we're reading. So it's not just a history book where we're just picking out events that happen. And it's Uh, Not just a theology book where it's telling us uh, about characteristics of God. Instead, it's telling us a story and it's uh, giving us all the tools that we need to sort of involve ourselves in the storytelling by uh, making uh, inferences from, from the implications. So when I find a section like this, at the end of chapter 21, that's just funny. Uh, It just reminds us that this this is a story and it's meant to be entertaining and it's meant to be engaging and it's meant to be compelling so that you'll listen, so that you'll be drawn in, so that you'll remember the characters and so that you'll remember some of the story events that happen. So, um, yeah, that's a, a sentence I may be using myself for a while. Do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you bring this one to me? Is this one going to come into my house? Been saying that a lot lately with people delivering food, knocking on the door. Is this one going to come into my house? Okay. It says chapter 21. Chapter 22, Saul chases David. Uh, Upon hearing he had contact with the priest, he confronts all the priests who were unaware of the feud between Saul and David. Saul demands his men kill all the priests. This is bad news. This is not good, right? Well, Saul's men refuse. Like they start to kind of clue in that, wait a minute, you know, we follow orders up to some point, but at some point we're asked to do something that doesn't seem right. Uh, Saul's men refused to kill the priests. So he's uh, Saul has this guy with him, Doeg, the Edomite. Uh, it's probably pronounced Doeg. I like calling him Doug. I don't know. It makes him seem not very frightening, even though he's a terrible, frightening, evil person. Uh, so he makes Doeg or Doug. He makes Doug the Edomite. Uh, kill all the priests, 85 priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. Saul has gone from being the king of the nation of Israel to a a terrorist against the nation of Israel. So uh, Doeg the Edomite kills 85 priests, all still wearing their priestly garments. Then he goes into town, kills all their families, Kills all their livestock. That was something that Saul was unwilling to do when it was a command from the Lord. Remember King Agag? Remember uh, Saul? uh, The Lord sent Saul to to wipe out that that, that whole people and not take any plunder or anything. And yet they they brought back all this livestock. He didn't kill King Agag. Samuel had to do it. Um, Saul was unwilling to do it to enemies. Enemies of Israel. Enemies of God. A uh, violent and horrible people. Genocidal people, the Nazis of their day, Saul was unwilling to do that. But now he's killed 85 priests, their families, and their livestock. And only one, only one son, Abiathar, escapes. And he escapes to tell David what has happened. David feels responsible for the deaths, and he promises to protect Abiathar. In chapter 23, we learn that Abiathar has also brought the ephod with him. So remember the, the, the priest would wear the ephod. It's got the jewels, the 12 jewels that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. It's also got uh, the pockets in it with the, 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 the two stones that somehow are used in understanding uh, sort of yes or no answers from the Lord. So, um, Abiathar has the ephod with him, so this sets him up as the only priest, as as an acting priest. And David now has a way to consult the Lord, because he's got the ephod. So David and his men, though few and frightened by this point, continue to protect villages from the Philistines. But it remains hard for him to stay hidden from Saul. So this cat and mouse game ensues, and uh, Saul keeps chasing David, just missing him. And the chapter ends with David hidden among the caves at Ngedi. And so that brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And so we'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 24 next. Uh, while I'm turning there, while you're turning there, I'll just say that I've been also to the caves at Ngedi or caves like them in the area of Ngedi. And, um, they're very high. They're very, very tall. And so you, you have, um, they're probably maybe three, three, four stories, uh, three or four stories tall, and they're just sort of sheer rocky cliffs. They just come down at just a little bit of an angle. but They're almost straight down. And there's kind, they're kind of tiered just a little bit. There's just enough of a of a ledge in some places for some of the the mountain goats and things to climb on, but it'd be very difficult for for humans, for most most people. Uh, But occasionally, there'll be a place where there'll be a hole, and there'll be a cave that will go way back in the side somewhere, and those caves go uh, deep and go down. And so it's a good place to hide, because there's so many of these little caves, and you can get down there and get out of the sunlight and uh, hide. Some of them are small, some of them are quite large. And this uh, sort um, of—it's almost like a hallway with no roof—goes on for a very long, long stretch— it's probably about the width of a of a, a four lane road or or maybe two lanes with a uh, turn lane and shoulder. It's it's not not too wide, and it it goes on for for some stretch, and um, lots of places to hide in there. So that's where we are when we're in the caves and in, in Getty, and that's where we find ourselves here in. First Samuel chapter twenty-four, not twenty-five. First Samuel twenty-four. And once again, the chapter headings ruin the story for us. Starting in verse one, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the wilderness near En Gedi. So Saul took three thousand of Israel's fit young men and went to look for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. Uh, The story just really doesn't pull any punches, does it? Uh, David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they said to him, look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, as the Lord is my witness, I would never do such a thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed. It's interesting that David is the Lord's anointed. And yet he's still referring to Saul as the Lord's anointed because he was the Lord's anointed at one time. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David persuaded his men and he did not let them rise up against Saul. Then Saul left the cave and went on his way. After that, David got up, went out of the cave and called to Saul, my Lord, the king. And again, David's calling him king, even though David is the rightful king. When Saul looked behind him, David knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage. David showing a lot of humility here, a lot of humility that Saul doesn't have. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the people who say, look, David intends to harm you. You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. Someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you. And said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointed. Look, my father, my father, he calls him. Look, my father, look at the corner of your robe in my hand, for I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. Uh, again, I think this is obvious, but he, he has cut off the corner of the robe to show I could have killed you. I didn't, but I could have. Uh, recognize that I've committed no crime or rebellion I haven't sinned against you, even though you are hunting me down to take my life. So many times, the stories that we read in Scripture will have two like elements, and we've seen this uh, a lot. Really, way back from beginning in Genesis, we we saw it really explicitly with Jacob and Esau. Here you have these two brothers, and they're fighting. There's a struggle all the time, and then Jacob has these two wives, Leah and Rachel, and then they're struggling, and. Uh, but but you can even see it uh, right in the very beginning of Genesis. Where we have the light and the darkness. In Scripture, you will have things that are put next to each other, and the whole point of having them both there is so that you can compare and contrast. Saul and David, who was anointed? Well, they both were. Saul and David, who is king? Well, they they both have been anointed to be king. Uh, who's the great warrior? Well, well they both are. Um, but. Uh, What's their life like now? What's going on now? Saul is now uh, left his obedience to the Lord. He's taken things into his own hands. He's he's committed um, uh, rash acts and uh, made wild oaths and just sort of done things on his own terms and not not consulted the Lord, not listened to the Lord. Whereas Samuel's first response is to. Uh, check with the Lord is to uh, pray about things, and Samuel has um, sort of given that spirit over to David. We see Samuel and David as sort of uh, connected and linked, almost as if David is uh, a, a son of Samuel. since Samuel's sons, you know, uh, didn't turn out didn't turn out that great. So let's just keep reading here. Uh, again, looking at the the comparing and the contrasting David's humility with Saul's hubris. Uh, David still speaking here in verse 12, may the Lord judge between me and you and may the Lord take vengeance on you for me. So again, David is saying the Lord will take vengeance. I don't need to take vengeance against you because the Lord will do it. Whereas Saul is always taking matters into his own hands, but my hand will never be against you. As the old proverb says, verse 13, wickedness comes from wicked people. My hand will never be against you. Who, has the, uh, who has the king of Israel come after? What are you chasing after? A dead dog? A single flea? May the Lord be judge and decide between you and me. May he take notice and plead my case and deliver me from you. When David finished saying these things to him, Saul replied, Is that your voice, David, my son? Then Saul wept aloud and said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have done what is good to me, though I have done what is evil to you. You yourself have told me today what good you did for me. When the Lord handed me over to you, you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go unharmed? May the Lord repay you with good for what you've done for me today. Now I know for certain you will be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Therefore, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David swore to Saul, then Saul went back home and David and his men went up to the stronghold. So right here at the end, Saul says, "You know, swear to me that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. Um, this is about uh, killing his progeny, but this is also about wiping out the memory of Saul from the history of Israel. Uh, if you remember, those of you that watched the Wandering series where we talked about Egypt and we talked about it's quite possibly the Third, that was the Pharaoh of Egypt at that time. And he co-reigned with somebody named Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut was the daughter of the person who would have been Pharaoh when Moses was born, which would make Hatshepsut Pharaoh's daughter, quite possibly the Pharaoh's daughter who drew Moses out of the water out of the, out of the river. And so once uh, Tutmosis III was defeated by the Israelites, we see he goes on this campaign to tear down uh, statues of Hatshepsut, to uh, desecrate any depictions of her in artwork and hieroglyphics, to have her name removed, to have her history just taken out of Egypt. We see that happening. In Egypt, and Saul is saying, Don't let that happen here. And David promises that he won't. And here we have the story of Saul. I mean, for a lot of the things that Saul did, you, you think, Well, maybe you could just forget Saul and we just started everything with David. But that's not what happened. And scripture has got a huge interest in telling you the truth, even when the truth is not pretty. And there's a lot of things that Saul does that's not pretty. So uh, this, to me, again, is a huge apologetic for the veracity of scripture, for the truth telling of scripture, because it is just not like ancient documents to show heroic figures in any sort of despairing light. It's just not a quality of ancient documents. And so when we see uh, negative qualities of Saul, someone who was supposedly anointed by God to be a king, something that in any other uh, people in any other history would have been something that uh, uh, a reign for the end of his life until until he died. When we see those things taking place, and we see that his history isn't wiped out, we see that um, everything that he did remains for us to see and read about and hear about. To me, that's a huge apologetic that Scripture is telling the truth. Because if you're going to make it up, why would you? Why would you make that up? That's just not a quality of ancient documents. It is a quality of documents that are just reporting what happened, just telling you the truth. Um, there's also a humility thing here. Saul has been trying to kill David for a long time. And when David finally has the chance to kill him in what anybody would say was justified, he'd be killing an enemy of the Lord, be self-defense. David doesn't do it. And he doesn't do it because he's the Lord's anointed. Now we know that the Lord has removed his hand from Saul. We know that the Lord has sent evil spirits to Saul. And certainly David knows that too. David's been in the room with him. David's been in the room when Saul has had his fits of rage. And yet David displays such humility in response to this confrontation with Saul that Saul relents, that Saul uh, repents essentially and says, um, you know, apologizes for trying to kill him. Um, and I wonder, uh, is there any other way that David could have gotten that response from Saul? Is there any other way? When David calls him my father and the first thing that, that Saul says, David, is that you my son? And that dialogue there uh, tells us the power of that humility, uh, the power of um, having power over someone and, and not exerting it and not using it. There's there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that weren't going on a month ago when we last did this series. And um, like you, um, I'm sure, I, I have m- many opinions about a lot of them. And some of my own opinions are contradictory with each other. But I will share with you something that uh, a friend of mine said. And you can take it for what it's worth. Uh, commenting on um, sort of the event that that was the the catalyst for a lot of the things that are happening in the world right now, and that uh, was the 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 death of, of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Uh, my friend that I was speaking to is, is black, is African American. He is. Um, Former military, former police. And he said, you know, as a police officer, I just have to say this whole thing could have been avoided if those officers had just shown a little humility. I don't know a whole lot of the details of the situation, so I don't want to get into the details of it. But so many people are in agreement. There's no reason for, for anyone to kneel on a person's neck for... Eight minutes, close to nine minutes, eight minutes and 46 seconds until he dies. And imagine if the person in power in the moment had had humility, the way that my friend suggested, the way that David does here. Now, not everyone repents in the face of humility. Some people take advantage of it. That's to be sure. Um, But that's their response. And that's on them. What we see here is we see two people. Two people that have a a lot of the same things going on. They're both anointed by God. They're both given a position by God. They're both given an appointment by God. One of them takes matters into his own hands, does things rashly, does not consult the Lord. The other does things with humility, does things with deference and recognizes uh, that the other person is created in the image of God. And so um, I I think that's, that's one thing that we can really take away from this story that that matters to us right now in this present time is um, recognizing that every other person, no matter their choices, no matter the evil they commit, no matter the horrible things they do, every other person on earth is created in the image of God. And we've seen this back in Genesis because everyone's made in the image of God, All human beings are capable of doing good things, capable of of great good. Uh, But also all humans have the the, the nature to sin and to, to choose to do selfish things and to take matters into their own hands. And this is the eternal question of Scripture. Which will you be? Will you be the one who grasps and holds on to the image of God? Or will you be the one who grasps and holds on to uh, the image of the world? Uh, it's very interesting here that, uh, <laughs> it's just making me laugh, even thinking, making me laugh even thinking about it. Michael makes the, the the dummy in the bed from one of the household idols and puts goat hair on it. <laughs> and this somehow fools them for some time. Maybe it was a large idol. I don't know. Maybe they didn't get, get a close look. But, um, it's interesting that when uh, David is scared that he's going to lose his life and, and therefore lose his position as king, he runs for the tabernacle. He runs to the house of God. When Saul is afraid that he's going to lose his position as king, he runs to this, this idol, this idol with goat hair on it that's in bed, asleep, doing nothing And so the eternal question of scripture is always coming back to us. Which person are we going to be? Uh, What are are we going to choose? Are we going to reach for the house of God? Or are we going to reach for um, the things that that pacify us? Are we going to reach for uh, that which comforts or for that which saves? Are we going to try and prop up our life By getting by, or are we going to declare ourselves dead and look for life only in Christ? This is the choice of scripture all the time. It's giving us these two different things. Will we show humility? Will we recognize the, 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 the inherent holiness that is in other people because they're made in the image of God? Despite their sin, despite all their choices, until their, until their last breath, God gives them um the, the the invitation. God has his hand extended. God's not willing that any should perish. And we should adopt that heart. We look back, you know, the series says after God's own heart. And we know that this is a phrase that refers to David, someone who was a man after God's own heart. And we saw back in 1 Samuel 16 where uh, Samuel is looking at the older brother of David and says, oh, this must be him. Look at this man. He's 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 big. He's tall. He's a warrior. And God says to Samuel, God doesn't see with the eyes. God sees with the heart. Some of your translations will say God looks on the heart or God, God sees the heart. But the, the better translation is probably God sees with the heart and the heart. Again, that's an essential self. What is our essential self? Our essential self is that part that's made in the image of God. So are we going to see with our eyes and we're going to see the physical world and we're going to make our decisions based on what's going on in the physical world? Or are we going to see with our heart through the eyes? We're going to see with our heart. Are we going to see with our created nature, our nature that we are made in the image of God, and therefore capable? Of great good. These are the choices that we're given all the time. And sometimes it is easier than than others. So the question I asked here in the beginning is, where is it most difficult to put your faith into practice? And there's always some kind of opposition. There's always something pulling you in the other direction. There's always something attacking you. There's always temptation. Where is it most difficult for you to put your faith into practice? Is it when you are under attack? Or is it when you have the upper hand, when you've got the power in the relationship? Is it when no one is expecting anything of you? Is it when there's too much pressure? Is it when people are questioning your authority? or your identity, or your worth? When is it most difficult for you to put your faith into practice? Uh, I'll leave you with uh, these thoughts here as we conclude tonight. I want you to think about uh, the persecuted church. There's a lot of craziness going on in our world. There's a pandemic going across the whole world. And even with the pandemic and the other craziness going on here in our country, we still got it pretty good. I got lots of electricity. I got lots of internet. Uh, I've got endless movies on Netflix and Hulu and iTunes. Um, Got a nice waterbed. I got two dogs to keep me company. Got family that loves me. I Got money coming in. We 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 mostly have it pretty good. Imagine um, as crazy as some of the things going on in our country are right now. Imagine those who live in countries where this is this happens daily, and has been happening for decades. Imagine the the traumatic stress of constant war, of constant strife, of constant struggle, of constant poverty not not and we have plenty of poverty here in the United States to be sure but think about nations like India or China or some of the smaller nations in Southeast Asia uh nations in Africa where poverty is just rampant where people uh are starving going hungry don't have clean water where um pandemics uh almost uh, can go ignored because people are dying from diseases that you and I could take care of with a simple pill. And in these places, there are Christians. And there are Christians that don't have podcasts, and they don't have Bible apps. Uh, They just have uh, their word, their knowledge of the word, and their simple faith. They have a few brothers and sisters to encourage them, and the rest of their world is against them. The physical world is against them. And the government is against them. The religious worlds around them are against them. The forces of evil are hurling spears at them, trying to pin them down to keep them from taking their place as princes. uh, As we all are princes and princesses of the kingdom of God as as co-heirs with Christ. So I want you to think about the persecuted church for all the things that we have going on here that are difficult. I want you to remember all the places where uh, things are difficult. And a few years ago, uh, there was a, a video put out by, I think it was Open Doors. Um, and there's a international day of prayer that comes up in November, I think, when I originally delivered this lesson. It was around that weekend. And Open Doors um, had this campaign at the time, back in 2016, called Pray With Them. And they had these really attention-grabbing ads that uh, you would see pop up on Facebook and in the email and other places. And it would show uh, faces of persecuted people in these foreign nations with the tagline that said, don't pray for us. And eventually they put out a video that was a companion uh, a companion piece to these that said, don't pray for us, pray with us. Because so many people in the persecuted church all across the world, they're Not praying that the persecution would end. As scripture says, they know that when they're being persecuted, that that means that they are being faithful to the Lord and that they will receive a very rich reward in the time to come. And so they say, we're not praying that this will stop. We're praying that we can be bold and we're praying that we can endure it. We're praying that when the persecution comes for us, we'll be bold enough to speak the truth, that we would be bold enough to show love, that we would be bold enough to show humility the way David does here with Saul. They say, don't pray for us, pray with us, pray with us and help us be strong. Where do you find it most difficult to be strong in your faith? When do you find it most difficult to be strong in your faith? And uh, let's think about how your brothers and sisters, those of us around you, can, can help you during those times. And when you come into those tough times, when you come into difficult circumstances, when you come into opposition, when you come into the spirits slinging the spears at you, trying to pin you down, do you pray for safety? Or do you pray for boldness? Do you cling to the world? Or do you run for the house of God? Sketches from Scripture is a production of Parabolas, the production company of author and filmmaker Paul Andrew Skidmore. Subscribe to this podcast and more at skidmore.substack.com.